0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.
1: This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio.
0: This week on Rewind, your week in review. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss is not ruling out impeachment after two former justices advised him against the move. Plus the criticism the UW system is receiving after spending nearly half a million dollars on a rebranding effort. And a deal has been reached on a revised plan to renovate American family fields. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for October 13th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin.
1: And I'm AJ Byapur.
0: AJ, great to have you here as my colleague at CBS 58. We're going to dive into a very busy week at the Capitol. So thanks for coming here as JR is on vacation. Let's first start with impeachment latest because it appeared earlier this week that impeachment, the stance from Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, was softening a little bit because we heard from two former justices that he asked to review impeachment, said, eh, maybe you shouldn't go forth with this. Then on Thursday, Voss said, it's absolutely not off the table. So in the absence of a crime, especially an impeachment, it must be based off an extremely serious conduct. That's the quote from former Justice David Prosser, who wrote in an email to Voss advising him against the move. And then we also heard from Justice, former Justice Wilcox, who also said, you know, maybe it's not a great idea. So reporters asked Voss on Thursday, whether or not if this is moved at all on if he's going to act on removing state supreme court justice jana protosewitz and he said no in his reasoning he pointed to well i want to base it on how the new liberal majority court rules on the redistricting case which appears to be a little conflicting from what his statements were back in August when he first floated impeachment. It was specifically in a radio interview at a Wausau station that he said it won't be based on decisions from the bench. So in a sense, he's kind of talking on the both sides of his mouth of his issue. But we've talked about this show before that he wants to have an off ramp. He first offered this nonpartisan redistricting bill as a way to, hey, as long as lawmakers get with this, we don't have to deal with impeachment. That's my last resort. Well, it appears that there's not much interest on that in the Senate. So putting this all together, um, it appears that Voss is just trying to still keep this option alive if for any reason he seems that it needs to be necessarily used.
1: Yeah, I think there's no question that there is a bit of conflicting statements going on here because uh, you mentioned the Wausau radio station interview. There was also a event in Oak Creek uh, earlier in the summer where Speaker Voss was specifically asked, "Would you under what circumstances would you consider impeachment? And the red line, so to speak, was, well, let's see what happens. He didn't commit to, we're going to impeach. And no point is he said, we're going to right. impeach. But uh, at the time it was, let's see. If she recuses, that would be the right thing to do. She's prejudged this case; she should recuse. So that line got crossed, so to speak, when Justice Prostasiewicz said last Friday in the classic, you know, five o'clock news dump, "I'm not recusing. I'm going to sit on this case, and we're going to, and the court itself is going to take this on original action." So that kind of sped things up, took it to the next level then you have the speaker's comments this week at that press availability before the Thursday session day where now it's well let's see how the court rules again as as you mentioned that's different from what previous comments were as far as whether there's an off ramp there might not be one at, at this point per se a lot of people seem to think that even the speaker himself doesn't plan on going through with impeachment but at this point when it's on the table you can't necessarily just up and say, well, now that Justice would said she's not going to recuse herself, I guess we'll just remove that option. Uh, where this most likely is going is the court will rule and then after that the response from Republican leadership will be, and the speaker has already alluded to this, They'll appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court and hope that a more favorable court makeup there in Washington will strike down whatever action the liberal-leaning Wisconsin Supreme Court takes. So impeachment seems unlikely in the grand scheme of things, but it makes sense why the speaker wouldn't remove that from the table because no one on the left is going to say, oh thank goodness, Speaker Voss, I'm glad you finally came to your senses and took impeachment off the table. Whereas there are people on the right who would be extremely upset if Speaker Voss came out and said, well, we're not even gonna consider it. So probably the best course of action for him, if I put myself in Speaker Voss's shoes, is stay the course you anticipate what the Wisconsin Supreme Court is going to do on the redistricting case, then appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: Right, and even talking to some senators, specifically Senator Dewey Strobel, I caught up with him last week before Friday's ruling came out of with saying she would not recuse herself. I asked him, where do you stand on impeachment? And he was in opposition to it, basically because even if Assembly Republicans move forth and held articles of impeachment and held that vote, should they do that? the governor is almost certain to appoint a replacement. And we've talked about that before. So in a sense, what Strobel said is he believes this is almost a lose-lose situation, and he doesn't want to do that. We've also heard um, from Senator Cabrera um, in the Senate, too. She has told uh, the Wisconsin Examiner that she is also against it. So with that, the Senate now lacks enough votes to remove should impeachment ever get to their chamber. So let's first take a listen to Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and his reasoning a little bit more, like you mentioned, from the U.S. Supreme Court and Senator Strobel, saying that he doesn't really think it's a good idea.
1: I think Justice Protossae, which made a mistake in not recusing, uh, but she has said she can be an independent jurist. um, If we see that the contributions that the Democratic Party made to her, expecting a result, result in that. That will certainly be something that we have to keep on the table. I'm not sure what that good that would do because I believe she could step down at any time and the governor could appoint a replacement. Frankly, that might not have the recusal baggage that she has uh, on her record. I don't support the impeachment of Janet Protosawich.
0: And kind of wrap up this topic too. what we learned this week is that Uh, Voss said that he created this panel, uh, which is at the center of a lawsuit uh, that was brought forth by a liberal watchdog group, American Oversight, who is suing to seek any records related to that. And that's why we got uh, this Prosser email. Um, I'm bringing this up because we also uh, learned about the two other uh, justices that Voss uh, requested to examine uh, the rules around impeachment, and that was former Chief Justice uh, Patient Rogensack who served 20 years on the court, and Justice John Wilcox, along with Prosser. Um, you know, looking forth on impeachment with the Protosawitz, while it also not be a great move politically um, for Republicans, because we've even heard Democrats warn that, uh, I even talked to uh, Representative Sinecki this week, who called it would result in a civil war, per se, um, and be a bad look for Republicans. One option that is still out there and still being talked about when it comes to impeachment is uh, Megan Wolf, who is the administrator of the State Elections Commission.
1: Yeah, and, and I think on that political point, we go back in this, say, we've kind of been down this road before, not specifically impeachment, but what first comes to mind is the Scott Walker recall and the fact that Walker won that recall election by a greater margin than his original election in 2010. That 2012 recall, he won by an even greater margin. I think that you have so many middle-of-the-road people in the state who don't like the idea of recalling someone unless they did something extremely bad, and they don't like this idea that you're gonna impeach a Supreme Court justice basically because she ruled in a way that you didn't like. Does that rise to the level of corrupt conduct, let alone a crime? I think your middle of the road Wisconsin voter doesn't like that. I mean rarely uh, this is anecdotal, of course, but rarely do people call the CBS fifty eight newsroom to just chime in on a political issue. But we've had people calling the newsroom in Milwaukee saying, Look, I I just want to call the newsroom and tell you I'm mad about this. I don't like this idea that they're trying to impeach Justice Protosewitz because it it just seems wrong to a lot of people, and I wonder if people would feel the same way if they went down this road with Administrator Wolf, Mm -hmm. because what Democrats would respond with is, you Republicans opened up this Pandora's box when you allowed Fred Preen to overstay past his term on the Natural Resources Board. We went to the court. The court sided with Republicans. They said that Preen's term ending did not create a vacancy. Why should it be any different with the wisconsin elections commission and again i think your middle road voter would look at that and just say look you can try to dig into the minutiae and say well this is how WEC is constitutionally different from the natural resources board but on a fundamental level i think people would look at that and say well it was okay when your guy did it but now you're okay that WEC took that same playbook applied it with the dems abstaining and keeping megan wolf on there if there's an impeachment in that case i think again There'd be a lot of blowback, so that'll be interesting to see if there is a huge shift. If there's a number of Republicans who are no on impeaching Justice Prostawitz, but would be a yes on impeaching Megan Wolf,
0: right? And that you know, with the Wolf impeachment, um, just her and you know whether or not it created a vacancy. She's still serving. That whole uh, dispute going on that is now center of a lawsuit uh, that was filed by Attorney General Josh Call, who believed even the Senate holding the vote in the first place um, was illegal, unlawful. They shouldn't even have done it. Um, so we'll see what happens. Happens there but even assembly Speaker Robin Foss has said that he wants to wait to see what happens in that lawsuit before he even considers impeachment and one last note I want to talk about is what uh, Senator Strobel also pointed out and I've heard from voters is that he is for wolf impeachment but not for Protosewitz. and the difference is is what he pointed out is that uh, protosewitz wasn't elected by the people of Wisconsin where Wolf was appointed. So that's, I think, an ongoing argument that we're going to hear from Republicans um, when this issue comes to head eventually. All right, let's move on to redistricting the case itself in the latest, because we kind of mentioned this a little bit, but what we learned um, from Senate President Chris Kappenga is that his chamber currently lacks the vote to take up Voss's quote-unquote off-ramp, which is creating a nonpartisan legislative body to uh, draw new maps before the 2024 election so it appears that there's not a, a huge amount of interest in voss's bill at this point and even while the assembly often acts on their own and passes what they want to, what they would like to do on their priorities, appears right now that there's just not interest uh, in the Senate to take up that measure, which kind of almost kills the idea.
1: Right, and I'd wonder how much of that is the Senate feeling like, look, there's bigger fish to fry in this case, because we know that Governor Evers is gonna end up vetoing that bill anyway. So essentially by going at it this way, largely it's a political play, as opposed to making a serious run at these maps. Now, of course, the assembly got kind of close. They had uh, Lakeisha Myers join them. They had two mm-hmm. other Democrats vote in favor of the amendments. Then when it came time for the big vote, those two Democrats end up having uh, absences for the rest of the night. But it goes to show that this issue broadly of redistricting is not going away. And it also speaks to you how difficult it is to draw a fair map. Now, we know that the nonpartisan uh, analyses of these current maps is that there is a skew. There is a natural edge because we hear Republicans talk about how, look, there's urban clustering. Democrats cluster in Milwaukee and Madison. That's true. But the best scientific breakdowns of this have come back and shown there is a natural edge that Republicans have because of clustering, but it's not to this extent. There is gerrymandering in favor of the Republicans. Okay, how do you fix that? That's really difficult because if you wanted as many, quote, unquote, 50-50 districts as possible, you'd have these assembly and senate districts that look like pizza slices where it's like you have the tip is like milwaukee and madison and then fanning out into rural areas is that something to do possibly but then the pushback from folks like senator lena taylor like representative myers is you will have fewer majority minority districts if you do that so this is a very complex issue it sounds like as you're saying as we're hearing from senate leadership this particular bill is not even going to reach Governor Evers' desk, where it would end up getting vetoed anyway. But when push comes to shove, it's going to be whoever, if if this new Supreme Court ends up trying to draw the maps itself, that's going to be very challenging to say nothing of what the U.S. Supreme Court would end up doing after that.
0: Right. All right, let's now move on to the latest uh, with the Brewers' stadium funding bill, because it now knows that we have a deal between the governor's office, Milwaukee leaders, Democrats, and Republicans. Uh, late, uh, yesterday, uh, we had lawmakers exec the bill with several amendments that AJ, you reported on last week. Uh, and what it really is, is just a little bit of shift in the funding breakdown. As you can see, the package is now, which was originally around $700 million, has dropped to $646 million. Now, this whole package, in turn, as long as the brewers get, as long as this package passes, they will extend their lease. Uh, to 2043. So $411 million would be provided by the state, 135 million would come from the city of Milwaukee, Milwaukee County, which is down from 200 million in the original bill and Brewers would still be pitching in 100 million. Now we heard from the governor's office, I did uh, yesterday, he's on board with the plan. Um, Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson gave it a thumbs up. Uh, Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley said he was excited about this movement, but also kind of hinted about the challenge ahead in the Senate, which we could have a, even more changes to this bill. Um, but the financial burden, uh, which we heard concerns from Democrats and Milwaukee leaders, was this is way too much that you're asking for us when it was 200 million, primarily because they just got this lifeline of getting a boost in shared revenue to start paying for police and other essential services, and now they're being asked for more, right? They were just able to raise their sales tax, which will be enacted in January, to muster more money up, and they felt like they were getting squeezed. Those concerns were heard, um, and specifically, we heard from Representative uh, Rob Brooks, who's the co-author of this bill, that said, hey, I listen, and we're going to do something about it. So while the financial burden was reduced on the city and county, it was lowered um, by the administrative fee that the state charges on them when they administer their sales tax. I hope I didn't lose people there, but that's why it is slightly being reduced. So going forward, um, even Representative Brooks said yesterday to reporters, There could be even more changes, but most of the series of amendments that you reported on last week, like having um, a workforce group study, possible development into the parking lots, that stayed in there. Um, There's possible discussion that the Senate will take up uh, issuing a ticket uh, tax on non-Brewers' events. Say there's a concert or something else used at AmFam Field. We're hearing that the Senate is likely going to amend the bill with that provision next um, week when they convene. So not really huge developments, but still, I mean, this is a big hurdle that I think, you know, me and Jr. talked about this, that time is running out. And, you know, both sides agreed that, you know, kind of patted everyone on the back that they got this done.
1: Right. And I think first on the ticket tax, what likely ends up happening is this non-Brewer event ticket tax, because during the public hearing in Milwaukee, the Brewers said they don't want to ticket tax on even non-baseball events because they want to try to keep the price point as low as possible for anything at American Family Field. You know, say I know a lot of people would be excited about this: Taylor Swift comes and does a <laughs> concert at Amfam Field. The Brewers don't get that money; the performer does from the actual gate, but the Brewers get the parking revenue. Right? There, there's ancillary revenue that the Brewers get. So Rick Schlesinger, the uh, president of business operations, has said, "Look." We want to keep the price point down for everything, so we would prefer a ticket tax on nothing. So you have others, including Senate Republicans such as Senate President Chris Kapinga, uh Senator Dan Kanodal, who've gone on record and said, "Well, we'd like a ticket tax on everything, including brewer games." So why I say the most likely outcome is this kind of middle ground is because that's something everyone can look at and say, "Okay." It's a bit of a compromise. The Brewers wanted zero ticket tax, yet some Senate Republicans and also certainly Democrats like Representative Sinicki, who want everything taxed, every event, to have this ticket tax applied. We'll see what the final amendment looks like. Also, uh, if Milwaukee and or Milwaukee County will end up having a seat on the board of the reconfigured a Southeast Wisconsin professional baseball park district, which technically owns and operates the stadium as an extension of the state. Under the original bill, you know, you have the five counties that had a seat at the table. Now, no local government had a seat at the table. It was basically appointees of the governor and legislative leadership. Milwaukee didn't like that either. So we'll see if the makeup of that board changes in practice. How relevant is that? Perhaps not that relevant, but if, if, if nothing I mean Milwaukee else on a, leaders care about it yeah, primarily, if yeah. nothing else on a symbolic basis, just to say like, we're asking Milwaukee and Milwaukee County taxpayers specifically to help put the bill on this. They should have an appointee or appointees on the board that ultimately gives the green light when the Brewers say, "We would like a new scoreboard. We would like to renovate the bathrooms on the 400 level." Mm-hmm. Those types of things that the board ends up approving. So it, it does seem as though the momentum's there. It would be surprising if the Senate totally threw up a roadblock, but I, we'll see We'll see what happens next week. What yeah. these final amendments look like that come out of the Senate?
0: Because even uh, Speaker Voss said yesterday that he wished he could have s- seen in the bill an audit to examine the stadium board. That was something that was tossed around that would be an amendment. It's not on this bill right now, but that could also be something we see in the Senate. I'm also hearing from some sources that there could likely be, after everything is done, if this crosses the finish line, that the Brewers' rent could possibly go up in future years, because there has been a lot of opposition, specifically from people who live in the Milwaukee area, saying the brewers are not contributing enough, giving at the other figures, right? State is at 411 million, Milwaukee um, and the county at 135 million, brewers pitching in 100 million. I mean, at least it's something, but we'll see down the road that that has been a concern as
1: well. And Rick Schlesinger has said that he's indicated that there is an understanding that the brewers' rent will go up as part of this. He's also talked about, hey, well, this will include winterization of the facility, so we'll be able to have events during the wintertime, maybe Badger basketball, maybe something fun like a winter classic NHL event. So it becomes more of a year-round facility, and then that speaks to why a lot of people in Milwaukee are saying, well, if we're going to do that, let's develop some of that parking lot land. And I was there for game one of the wildcard playoff series and snapping pictures saying, (laughs) look, the Yount and Euchre lots on the far east footprint of this, Pretty large stadium campus even for a playoff game so much that parking lot is unused even with a big crowd close to a sellout so the Brewers seem to acknowledge in this public hearing that there's a lot of momentum for developing some of that lot space representative Brooks said as much in that hearing as well Mm -hmm. but it's easier said than done. I mean there have been no studies actually looking at the feasibility of this environmental remediation who exactly is going to be the developer here it sounds like a good idea it probably is a good idea, but actually hashing that out and figuring out what that looks like, who gets what, who's responsible for what, that's gonna take quite a bit of time
0: all right let's move on to the governor's special session uh, because this week republican lawmakers on a senate committee considered his 1.1 billion dollar special session package that calls for more funding in child care education expanding paid family leave and supporting high demand workforce sectors now this comes after republicans didn't act on september 20th on a special session but they did refer his bill to committee which i would say is rare given out of the 13 special sessions that he's called only a few of them have been considered all the rest of them have been quickly rejected within seconds so this has some legs to it, and talking to the chair, Senator uh, Fein, after the hearing that lasted several hours, we heard from childcare workers, a lot of state agency heads touting the governor's package. He said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna take some time on this. We're going to consider this." But he, bottom line, said it is way too expensive. Um, and another concern that he had, along with uh, Senator Knudtson, who questioned some jo- uh, childcare centers, is that 343 million dollars to continue a pandemic-era program called Child Care Counts that a lot of child care centers and daycare centers here in Wisconsin relied on to keep them afloat, keep their doors open. They don't want to continuously fund a federal program that's ending, and that is their concern. You know, we know Republicans are typically fiscally responsible. They don't want to spend massive amounts of money on this. But on the other side, I mean, you heard from a lot of child care providers there and saying, we are stretched thin. We cannot afford to even keep our employees for 10 $11. More people can make money at McDonald's working a shift for eight hours Um, so that was kind of what we heard from both sides and we'll see where this issue goes from here first let's just take a listen to both sides specifically about the child care sector
1: for the child care providers uh, as we heard many many things in that testimony about they wouldn't make it they can't survive I hope they just recognize there's the one there's many businesses, most businesses actually do survive and can even thrive without government subsidy still it's America Uh, and that be careful you are asking and are you asking that this is what we need to do right now you stated that pretty clearly to fund this but there be a continuing cost for this otherwise we'd be abandoning it we'd be ramping up a program or, or keeping a program in place and then we would be abandoning it. We have a system now that we never had before, and we can't afford, um, at at this particular moment in time, we can't afford to turn the spigot off. I think we're hearing that over and over again today. Long term, if our providers knew that there was a, a stable, steady braid of funding Um, they would start to take risks. My argument is we give enough time to this program to really get us stable and to see how some of these other irons that we've planted in the fire are, are, are bearing fruit. And then we reassess.
0: All right, AJ, now we're going to move on to recapping a session day on Thursday when the assembly was in. And overall, despite veto threats from Governor Tony Evers. Assembly Republicans passed a pair of bills that one would restrict gender, gender transition treatment for minors and ban transgender athletes from competing in women's and uh, girls sports teams. Now this bill was first introduced in 2021, Uh, didn't even receive a vote in the Senate, but this has been authored by Representative uh, Dietrich for a few times now, trying to get this across the finish line that she believes would uh, create a more fair playing field. Now, if you look at the bill that would restrict gender transition treatment for minors, that is something that has been introduced uh, and passed in uh, about two dozen states, and a lot of them have led to lawsuits, some successful um, over-discrimination lawsuits. Um, and going back to uh, the transgender athletes competing in women's sports team, you know, AJ, when this was first introduced, um, a lot of talk was around WIA rules because there already are some rules in place when it comes to um, individuals who want to transition and still play on a high school or uh, middle school team.
1: Yeah, I think coming out of the floor speeches that we heard on Thursday, I still go back to, as you mentioned, 2021. We've been This has been going on for two sessions now, and what doesn't seem to be getting specifically addressed here is what proof is there that the current WIAA language is insufficient? Mm-hmm. For male to female athletes, they have to have documented, have undergone one year of, Testosterone suppression. If that's not enough, if somehow someone is either circumventing that rule or is still dominating the field despite that, where's the proof of that? Is someone presenting actual evidence that the current rules that are in place aren't enough? Instead, it's just a lot it just seemed like it was a lot of rhetoric, both in 2021 and then again this week. The WIAA has sought to address this if it is not doing a good enough job of addressing it, someone needs to make a, a clear and concise case for why that is.
0: Right. And and oftentimes when I would talk to Representative Dietrich, I was, where are the examples this is happening in Wisconsin schools? Can you name specific um, times that this has happened that has impacted a, a sports team or the other opponent per se, that they felt like it was unfair competition? Have yet to hear that from her. Um, that's also a big argument from Democrats that this is, not a huge deal in Wisconsin. Um, also, you know, does this issue fire up Republican base? Does this resonate with voters? Is this what's driving uh, Republicans to the ballot box? You know, someone argue, no, I care more about the economy, my pocketbook, health care issues. Um, so it's, it's still out there. It's, it's a similar measure as that we're seeing in a lot of other states. So it is a national trend, um, but remains to be seen if this is the you know, ballot box issue that people vote on um, come next year. All right, let's move on to the, uni- or I should say, universities of Wisconsin now because they just underwent a new uh, branding transition and. Uh, Jay Rothman, the president of the Wisconsin University System, defended his decision to spend nearly a half a million dollars on this rebranding effort that changed the name, like I said, Universities of Wisconsin, and the look of the state's public universities. And, A.J., you sat down um, with Rothman this week specifically. What was his big argument for this? Because we know that there's a lot of Republicans already pretty frustrated that, hey, you decided to spend this on rebranding when you could have invested in other things like helping uh, boost our workforce. Yeah,
1: it was interesting. The two committee chairs on higher education, you had Senator Hutton who came out and said, This is unfortunate that you'd essentially waste almost half a million dollars on what he called symbolism over substance. On the other hand, Representative Dave Murphy told me over the phone you know what, $480,000 across the entire system of 13 campuses and you take into account the entire size of their budget, I don't think it's that big of an expenditure. If you can actually get ROI on this, I don't mind it, but I want to see how this actually gets executed. Uh, What President Rothman told me was we believe that there is usefulness in a rebrand that focuses on the universities by being called the Universities of Wisconsin that highlights each of the different campuses as opposed to something called system, which rings a little more bureaucratic. Most people on the surface would say, yes, universities sounds better than system. What a lot of other people would look at though is, why did it have to be $480,000? I talked to a marketing professor at Marquette University who said, look, it takes a lot of research. You're talking to alumni, students, future students, faculty there's a lot of time that goes into this at the same time as somebody who spent a a brief foray in the world of public relations and marketing Mm -hmm. I can say and and I'm sorry if people call Wisconsin I upset that I'm I'm saying this there are times where you'll sit there and go wow I can't believe that we kind of got paid to sit here at a table and kick around this stuff for as much time frankly with with the hours that went into this so when people say really almost half a million dollars to do this though I can certainly see where they're coming from, Um, but especially in the context of the universities of Wisconsin just got a $32 million cut in this cycle as they're still hoping to make this case on why they should have that money restored, why diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives should not cost them part of their budget.
0: Right, and and I think Rothman's reasoning too was: listen, we think this could help, um, you know, generate uh, more students to, or have more students want to come here. Um, we'll see if that works. Now, the UW uh, Madison flagship campus, they're not really having a problem with enrollment. I think they've had the highest numbers um, in a very long time since the pandemic uh, this year specifically. But other campuses are struggling. So I also noticed that too with the color scheme; it wasn't red. Um, but, you know, not all these other, you know, UW-La Crosse, UW-Stevens Point, they're not red. You know, they're yellow and uh, purple and different colors. So it, maybe that will appeal to people.
1: Well, I have yeah. the constellation, the little, you know, almost yeah. like the stars in the system highlighting the 13 campuses, but... yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the rest of $32 million because right now you have the, the universities trying to work around that money that's not there because Governor Evers' line item vetoed the actual position cuts. So they're trying to make it work without that money for the time being. The hope is, President Rothman told me, they're going to make a presentation of joint finance this fall and say, look, DEI is not this indoctrination that you think it is. DEI means yes historically underrepresented racial and ethnic groups, but also means veterans, it's students with disabilities, it's people from working class backgrounds who typically don't find themselves on college campuses. That's what we mean by DEI, and we're gonna stand by that. So we'll see how that plays with joint finance later this year. Yeah,
0: something that we'll be tracking. All right, AJ, thanks for joining us, and thank you for joining us on this edition of Rewind. I'm Emily Fannin.
1: And I'm AJ Baipur.
0: Thanks guys, we'll see you next week.
1: This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio.
0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.